This is an ABC podcast. At a New York dinner party in 1951, Dr. Gregory Pincus was being accosted by an unbelievably persistent woman. Her name was Margaret Sanger. She had practical hair, wide brown eyes, and a too keen fascination in his work. Pincus was renowned for his work in fertilising rabbits, as if they needed the help. He was one of the first to make attempts at in vitro fertilisation, taking an egg out of a female rabbit, fertilising it, and then inserting it back into the womb. This was considered in his time some crazy sci-fi shit. So much so that he lost his tenure at Harvard. But as with all mad scientists, his thirst for godlike powers never faltered. He continued his experiments, but by 1951, he'd come to an impasse. In trying to play God with rabbit reproduction, he'd accidentally blocked them from conceiving at all. It's important to note that this is literally as wrong as you could get. It's the very opposite of what he was trying to do. He did a really terrible job of this. When Sanger heard this over dinner, she pounced. After a series of leading questions, she asked him, do you think it would be possible to develop an efficient contraceptive that would be easy to take? For example, a cheap pill. You're listening to Little Tiny, stories about the small things that have changed the world. I'm Kara Schlegel, and this is The Pill. Tonight, we go after the story of the woman who violated convention and bucked powerful opposition to lead the birth control movement in America. If you're curious to know why Mrs. Sanger has devoted her life to the birth control movement, if you'd like to hear her answer to the charge that birth control is a sin, and if you want to get her views on politics, divorce, and God, we'll go after those stories in just a moment. On October 16, 1916, at the age of 37, Margaret Sanger opened the very first birth control centre in the United States. Nine days later, she was arrested. The judge who convicted her held that women did not have a right to copulate with a feeling of security that there will be no resulting conception. Yeah, I know. Her mother, Anne, had been through 18 pregnancies, 11 of them successful, before passing away at the age of 49. To Margaret Sanger, and to a great number of women, I assume, including myself, maybe especially myself, her mother's life seemed a hellish nightmare. She'd blamed her mother's death on the sheer number of children she delivered and miscarried, She blamed her mother's death on a society that told women their purpose in life was to conceive. Let me tell you about Margaret Sanger's second greatest achievement. In 1873, a law was passed in the United States prohibiting the advertisement sale and distribution of birth control. Even if they were shipped from overseas, any contraceptives found in the mail would be confiscated. 
This law came right after the invention of the rubber condom, perceived back then as a tool for promoting wanton indiscriminate sex, which is absolutely correct. In the mid-1930s, a doctor at Sanger's birth control clinic ordered a small package of pessaries from Japan. Pessaries were a small block you could insert into your vagina, usually made of spermicide and other contraceptive materials. They were perfect for women who needed a discreet form of contraception because some men think they have ownership over a woman's body and don't think they should take precautions simply for the sake of a woman's health and well-being. Hashtag not all men. The small package of pessaries was intercepted by authorities and Margaret Sanger ended up in court. In the 1936 case, the United States versus one package of Japanese pessaries, the 60-year ban on contraceptives was lifted. The repeal held that a doctor should have the right to prescribe and dispense contraceptives, the judge noting that if contraceptives aren't made available to women, then illegal abortions will continue. It's one of the most significant court cases in American history, and yet, In my opinion, it still doesn't top what Sanger did 15 years later. Margaret Sanger was 72 years old when she decided to attend a small dinner party in New York. She was, by this time, the president of Planned Parenthood, the United States' largest family planning clinic. She was certainly one of the most infamous, well-connected and persuasive people Dr. Gregory Pincus had ever met. On that night, at that dinner table, she convinced Pincus to design a contraceptive pill for women. How? Using the most potent argument any scientist will ever face, a dump truck load of money. It's challenging to communicate the impact the pill has had on the world because that impact is so utterly unquantifiable. An estimated 100 million women worldwide take the pill. It perhaps helped kickstart the sexual revolution of the 1960s. It's likely prevented population explosions. It's revolutionized hormonal medicine. And it's certainly helped a great number of women transform their lives. But I think personally that the biggest impact it's had is on our culture and on the perception of women within it. There's a scene in the 1983 classic film Educating Rita that sticks in my mind. Rita is a married woman trying to escape her working class life by studying at university with the one Michael Caine. She's been secretly taking the pill, stashing the contraceptives under a floorboard out of her husband's sight. She wants to have children, but considering her circumstances, she doesn't want to have them right away. Her husband does. When he finds out that she's been taking the pill, he kicks her out of their home. In the following scene, Rita says, He said I betrayed him. I suppose I have. Rita is caught between two worlds. An old world that told her she didn't deserve autonomy. 
and a new world that was giving her the tools to take control of her own body and her own life. That was my mum's generation. For me, if my partner told me I couldn't take the pill, they wouldn't be my partner anymore. There's something to be said about how quickly, in Western society at least, we've taken that kind of progress for granted. Little Tiny is written and presented by me, Kara Schlegel, produced by Bryce Halliday. Our history consultant is Zoe Tan, and Joel Werner is our executive producer. You can email us at littletiny at abc.net.au with questions, corrections, and ideas for future episodes. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.